I um, I don't know whether it's possible to cultivate the style. Nobody is precisely what they think they are. Maybe in the last moments of my life, moments of my life, I will be curious to know what it means to die. Welcome to Folk Phenomenology. My name is Sam Rocha. This is episode two of season two, featuring special guest. Juana. Folk Phenomenology is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, Voice and Truth, from Biblical Studies to Classic Theology, Poetry to Philosophy, our authors are experts, scholars, and artists. St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, nurturing the dialogue between Christians in the life of the academy and that of larger society. Give us this day, daily prayer for today's Catholic. Solidarity Hall, Eden plus Utopia. Black Catholic Messenger, an online publication for black Catholics. U.S. Catholic, faith and real life. Commonweal Magazine, the leading lay voice for commentary on religion, politics, and culture. The Juan Diego Network, Catholic Audio for Latinos. To support Folk Phenomenology, please share this episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite app or platform, and leave a review or drop a tip. You can also follow Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Juana, welcome to Folk Phenomenology. Thanks so much. Wow, there was a countdown and everything. I, I know. We're using some fancy new technology here in season two. Very excited about it. <laughs> so I have been, uh, as I said before we pressed record, I have really wanted to have you on the show for some time. And uh, I suppose we should just get out of the way um, the fact that you are, as far as I can tell, I know you are the first, and I suspect for a number of reasons, you will also be the last um, anonymous guest on on my show. Uh, but I want to make, at, at least disclose that to our listeners and invite you to, you know, uh, talk a bit about your your persona as Juana, uh, your, uh, you know, I, I know you obviously through Twitter. And a lot of times I think this this show doesn't quite maybe isn't honest enough about the degree to which Twitter is kind of the launching point for a lot of the show, certainly for a lot of the audience. So, you know, feel free to talk about weird Catholic Twitter or just Juana on Twitter in general or anything else you like. Sure. So I started on Twitter, gosh, I don't even remember, um, probably in like my upperclassmen years of college. And I found Catholic Twitter pretty quickly and I found weird Catholic Twitter pretty quickly as well. 
And um, in my initial years, I used my real name because there were a lot more people that knew me in real life that followed me. Uh, and then I started to get a bigger following um, kind of around like right before the pandemic hit. Uh, I had just moved to Houston. I had gotten my dog. A lot of things were like happening in my life. And uh, at the time I had in my display name something about Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz who is a uh, very famous, I'm sure you've heard of her, Sam, but a uh, very famous Mexican, Geronomita uh, nun, I'm not sure how to say that in English. And uh, I really loved her writing. And people haven't really heard of her very much, so they assumed that I, my name was Juana Inez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of people have, over the course of my Twitter, assumed that I am uh, a sister. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not. Um, and now that I'm, I post about my job and my life, I maintain a casual degree of anonymity because um, I've seen a lot of people, uh, both on and off of Catholic Twitter, be really ugly um, to priests in particular. Uh, and I talk a fair amount about my job and my priest, so I would never want that to happen. Yes. Uh, Father my Boss? Really mis- yeah, Father Boss. He started calling himself that. Now uh, nice. I've created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, sometimes he'll say something funny, or he'll talk about like an event that we're having, and he'll turn to me and be like, "Did you tweet that?" And I'm like, <laughs> "You know, <laughs> my Twitter's not just about you." Yeah, it's mostly about my dog, frankly. But uh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I, um, as I said earlier, I, I, um, I grew up in a lay missionary Catholic family and my dad, uh, you know, he was a pastoral coordinator in one of those towns in Texas that, uh, in the Diocese of San Angelo didn't actually have a priest on site. And so mm-hmm. my dad, so we lived in the rectory. So a lot of your commentary about parish life and parochial life and just the real mundane stuff, you know. Uh, about Father Boss, but like lots of stuff, you know, uh, it is, it's for me like this very, it's extremely nostalgic. Like, like I don't, and I've never come across parochial life nostalgia genre before until I found (laughs) your account. But at the parish, um, in, in, uh, you also, I mean, I know you have a lot of roles, but in particular you, uh, work in liturgical music or as the I don't know if you want to give your title or if you just want to talk about No, that's music. fine. Yeah, what I, what they actually pay me for is a director of music. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, um, in this interview, there's a lot of directions we could go into. Um, I kind of don't think, uh, unless you want to, I, I feel like the topic of like Twitter and like the social media stuff is... I'm not so sure if that's the the most interesting uh, place. It's a place that you kind of have to dive in to talk about or talk to. It's, it seems like it gets like an insider conversation really fast. Um, yeah. I wonder if we might talk a bit about music. Uh, is that okay? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, tell me about how you got into music and 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 what you find yourself doing, what you self find yourself drawn to. We can talk sacred music. I'm sure there's overlaps from sacred music and liturgical music into other forms of music but yeah yeah definitely um so personally I started I've always sung 
Um, there's a video we have of me when I was like three uh, swinging on my swing set, <laughs> and I am just belting um, Immaculate Mary, okay. which is which was really funny to find years later. Uh, but I was an only child, so my parents kind of just threw me into everything to like see what would stick. So I've played like several sports. I've done like eight types of dance, um, did theater, like all kinds of stuff. And I've been very fortunate to do that. But when I was very little, I was probably like five, my mother put me in piano. And that stuck. Uh, I did that for a long time. And then I quit uh, in high school because I thought I knew everything. And that mm. was a mistake. <laughs> but, uh, but in high school, I took guitar. was my elective, classical guitar. Mm. And uh, around that time, my youth sister in the Shunstadt Girls Youth, she was like, oh, you can play the guitar now that's great. So you can play guitar for our retreats now and I don't have to do it anymore. Hmm. Awesome. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it was a very voluntold moment. The sisters are good at that in general, I think. Uh, but I think that's probably when I started doing music for like mass um, by myself. I had always been in children's choir, but uh, leading worship, that was probably, yeah, around, I was like 14 or 15. Um, and then in university, I worked as a work study for the Office of Liturgy and Music. Um, eventually, I was the student conductor of the chapel choir. And so I was given a scholarship uh, by the Marianists. Shout out to the Marianists if you guys are, <laughs> you're probably not listening to this, but you guys were great to me, uh, for uh, piano and voice lessons. And I took the music courses um, sort of piecemeal, just like what I would need to do liturgical music. So I took like music theory, basic musicianship, uh, like I said, piano and voice, nothing really like, you know, I don't have a music degree. So I didn't take like music history or like Renaissance or percussion methods or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I left grad school, my, my initial thought was, I'm going to, pardon me. My initial thought was I'm going to go into grad school. I'm going to get a uh, my master's and then I'm going to get a PhD and I'm going to become a professor of theology. And at the end of my time in grad school, I looked around and said to myself, uh, I have been in school for 20 years straight. Mm. And if I have to go straight into another like seven or eight years, I will walk into the sea. So, <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, well, what else can I do? Uh, then I was like, Oh, I could do this. And I, kind of looked around and eventually ended up in Houston. And so I've been here now since 2019. Um, and I've been at my current church since March of 20. Um, I was hired quite literally a week before the shutdown wow. of, of the archdiocese. And my manager uh, told me later, she was like, you know, that was really a weird time for me because the chancery kept calling me like, you know, everyone else is firing their employees. Are you sure you want to take on someone new? But mm -hmm. she was like, but father was really determined. And I was like, well, you know, thanks. I love that he was determined because I love, you know, not being homeless and <laughs> really fell into, I would say it was all coincidence, but if I say that the sisters have a little voice in my head going, nothing is coincidence. Yeah. Everything is providence. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> so yeah, so I guess now I've been doing uh, music 
I've been playing instruments for probably like a little over 20 years, but I've been doing liturgical music, I guess, for probably like, I don't know, how old am I? Like 15? <laughs> like 15 years, probably. Sure. Yeah. How much, um, how much overlap, if any, uh, has the liturgical music? Uh, I love the story of being, you know, voluntold. Um, how much does the, the, if any at all, how, is there any overlap between the sort of, um, liturgical music and then just general kind of, um, religious music, worship music, um, church music in, in other venues, maybe in other denominations. I'm, I'm, I, to, to the listeners, I'm not asking these questions from a set of notes or from knowledge, I actually don't know these questions. And so I'm just <laughs> trying to get my feel or my way around, you know, the, um, uh, how, how, you know, it, it sounds from the story you told that you tracked pretty specifically into, uh, liturgical sacred music. Um, but I'm just trying to see if that was that direct or if there was any other overlaps or. I think that's fair. So I actually, my real name, uh, which is not Lana, is quite specific and nobody ever really knows how my parents came up with it. It's because they used to go to an event here in Texas, actually, uh, the Kerrville Folk Festival okay. every year for like years. Have you been? It's great. Uh, no, <laughs> but I, I've, uh, I went to, um, uh, well, I, I, from junior high through high school, I was in Brady, Texas, which is just up the road in the hill country right. from Kerrville. Right, so by it's Kerrville. Like Kerrville uh, Fredericksburg, Mason, and then Brady. Yeah, it's right in that progression. Well, my parents went there every year uh, for years, and they went the year that uh, they were pregnant with me, and they knew I was a girl, but they didn't really know anything else. And one of the folk singers who played the guitar, um, really talented woman, and she had a very unique name, and they were like, oh, that's pretty. Why don't we, like, think about that? And the Kerrville Folk Festival is generally in like late May and I was born in July. So when I was born and mm -hmm. I came out, they were like, oh, we'll name her after that, uh, that guitarist, that folk singer. So I've always loved folk music for sure. Mm. Um, I, it's an interesting question. Cause like, I didn't really, <laughs> now that you've said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that really does like track directly into liturgical music. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you'd asked me like at the time, even like three years ago, if you'd asked me if I would be doing this uh, as a like as a career, I would have thought you were crazy. Like I mm -hmm. never saw myself going into this in any way. So <laughs> no, that's a really good. Oh man, I'm like making discoveries about myself. <laughs> I, yeah, no, it wasn't, um, it was kind of one of those things where everyone, you tell people that this is what you're doing and they're like, oh, I didn't necessarily expect that, but it's also not surprising. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, it was surprising to me, <laughs> but now that, you know, now that you've said that, I don't know how. Um, sure. Yeah. That I, does I, kind I, of seem I, like I, it was. Yeah. I find that, um. I have zero abilities and no confidence in whatever abilities I may have, you know, <laughs> that are, you know, somewhere at that zero point for really having any understanding of myself. I have to have people just tell me 
And it's best that they tell me retrospectively so that then I can kind of check out what they say with my memory and see if it's true. But for the most part, I don't, I don't, I don't generally object too much when people tell me things about myself. I just generally believe them because they're usually better at it than I am. And I do, I tend to do the same when the things are nice. <laughs> so like if somebody were to tell me like, you're actually a really mean person, I would be like, I know, right? Like I should work on that. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, uh, the other day, a lady was like, I'm sure you hear this all the time, darling, that you just, you were singing that last song. This was on a retreat that we just did. Uh, She's like, you were singing that last song and you just sang it like a Disney princess. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'll take it, but that, that certainly wasn't the, was the, I was like, was that my intention? I don't really know what to say to that. Uh, mm. It's certainly a compliment. Thank you. Uh, but it's just, it's strange. Sometimes the things people say that you're like, I don't really know how to respond to this. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very much like that also. I prefer when people tell me. Uh, but the issue is, and all my friends are like listening to this, tearing their hair out because they're like, we tell you <laughs> and you don't believe us. And you don't believe us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is not meant to be a psychotherapeutic uh, or psychoanalytic uh, podcast at all. It's, it's <laughs> phenomenology after all. Um, I guess gathering from your story, though, it, would you identify as a guitarist or as a pianist or as a singer or as all three multi-instrumentalist that's a good question i primarily identify myself as a vocalist okay i think my voice is the instrument that i am most confident in Mm -hmm. because you know there's not as many outside factors to it (laughs) generally if someone says pianist i think like concert pianist and i have some friends that are you know very talented like that um i'm not that kind of pianist i'm an accompanist mostly by necessity Mm-hmm. At this parish, I, I don't have any accompanists. I have some great singers, but no um, no other pianists or organists. Um, and then the guitar, when I was really in classical guitar, I, I would have referred to myself as a guitarist. But now I play, like, very basic. <laughs> Generally, um, the things I really use my guitar for are uh, either shunstadt events uh, or, like, praise and worship. Mm-hmm. And praise and worship songs are extremely simple, as are most movement songs. I think anybody in a movement knows, you know, because they've got to be accessible. Mm. So I would I would say I'm a vocalist first. Yeah. OK. Yeah. No, that's that's great. I um, I was subbing at a I, I, I'm retired. I I, <laughs> I retired uh, from music ministry. And so I am a scandalously I am I, I, I'm a drummer at uh, at a parish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I'm not the, the director, but I, but I'm a nice pinch hitter. So I, I sub <laughs> this last year during Tridwim, our music director got COVID after Holy Thursday. So, oh no. Yeah. From midnight forward, I was the, uh, interim <laughs> music director. Um, all that to say though, that like, um, I don't generally identify as a vocalist. I under I think of myself more as a guitarist. Uh, but it's interesting, and especially in the context of liturgical music, where the the cantor is the music, like the mm-hmm. the voice is really what leads. Um, there's I I don't think there's much substitute for just a strong cantor leading voice. 
But you said something super interesting that I want to drill into, which is about mo movement music. Uh, so I also I grew up in the Renovación Cristiana, the Charismatic Renewal movement. Oh, um, okay. And um, and I and you're right, you're right. Movement music is simple, and it does have to have this popular. And this maybe goes back to your folk music foundation that you said there and stuff. But uh, of course, movement music can also refer to like political music, like like labor movement music, and and a lot of times, you know, like in the civil rights movement the line between sacred music or Mahalia Jackson's Mahalia Jackson singing, you know, take my hand, precious Lord, or, uh, you know, the great hymns of the black church and the songs of the movement were more or less identical. Um, I assume that's what you meant, but I wonder if you could go deeper on the question of movement music and maybe some movements that you've been a part of or, or are playing in or, or working in. Um, I've kind of played my way out of, most of the movements I was playing in at the time. <laughs> so I, that's interesting. No, you make a good point with, especially with Mahalia Jackson of the queen, but um, mm -hmm. no, I definitely meant uh, movements within the church apostolic movements. So sure. I was okay. born, I was born into uh, the Schoenstatt movement, um, which I'm sure nobody listening has heard of unless there's a shrine near them. And there are 10 in the country. So, okay. It depends. Uh, but the really, really, really long story short version of it is um, to Christ through Mary. I feel like as most Marian movements can be summed up that way. Um, and it's built around uh, shrines. There's an original shrine, the Urheiligtum, in Fallendar Koblenz in Germany. And then there's like 200-ish copies of that shrine all around the world. Oh. And there's priests and sisters and couples and mothers and family and girls' youth. And that's what I grew up in. Uh, so the sister that Volan told me earlier, uh, as I mentioned, was um, Volan telling me to learn music basically for the girls' youth retreats. So that was, uh, I, a lot of my guitar playing style is still, there's a very distinct, like, we call it like the Schoenstatt pick. There's like a very distinct picking style uh, okay. for most of our songs. Is it finger style or like a It is pick? like finger picked, a lot of okay. it. And then yeah. a lot of our songs come out of like Chile and Argentina, uh, where our seminary is. And um, those also kind of have it, but they're also very like strummed. So that's, I, yeah, that's kind of what I grew up with in that style of guitar. I will say that um, other movements that I run into in the church and, you know, outside of the church, like you said, with um, civil rights and stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of that is that music is the unifying factor. Hmm. So like for Schoenstatt, our consecration prayer, the My Queen, My Mother, we have a musical setting of it that was written in, I don't know, like the 70s. And I've heard it just all over the world uh, in, you know, in multiple languages and multiple instruments and acapella and in the Vatican and within Oregon and just everywhere, everywhere. Excuse me. And it's, it's such a uniting, a uniting factor, I think, to be able to be like, that's my, that's our prayer. Like, that's my mm -hmm. song. And it, just for everyone to be doing, uh, to know the same thing. And I know that a lot of other movements within the church do that as well, but that is the one I grew up with. <laughs> so yeah. that's the one, that's the one I know. Uh, 
feel like I got off track. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I'm I'm among the listeners who hadn't heard of is it Schonstadt? Is that what Schonstadt? Schonstadt. Okay. Is so the yes, the English yeah. and Spanish pronunciation. Technically okay. it's in German it's like Schonstadt, but we don't okay. really, you know, bother with that in English. Gotcha. I have seen a lot of people, if you see it written out, um, Americans are really bad about saying Schoenstatt. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's okay. definitely not it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, that's not a, that's not a movement. Uh, I, uh, you, you got me on the, on the, on the Catholic trivia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, there's a guitarist who I, I really admire, um, uh, almost admire more about his like his way of thinking about the guitar and talking about it. And he's got like a, a bit of a variety show and he's out of Minneapolis. His name is Corey Wong. Um, and uh, I think his, his show is like the Wong notes or something. I don't, I don't recall. <laughs> um, but uh, it was funny because I do feel like I, I, I watch a lot of guitar oriented shows and YouTube stuff and, and I, f- I feel like uh, as a guitar player, um, you know, you got cowboy chords, open chords, you know, basic chords, and that's fine. I, I love that Pat Metheny has no shame in just playing an open D, you know, <laughs> just beautiful, let it ring out, you know, I love that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But there's a lot of jazz players who get really into the chord game, you know, the voicings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and up and down the neck. And, and one of the things that I heard Corey recently talk about was... Uh, he spoke on a very kind of, you know, guitar nerd level about the beautiful sound of the, the worship chords, the praise mm. and W chords. You know that open E yeah. that's down to the octave and the shape you can run it all the way up to the C minor as the C sharp minor and, and the B and then it, it resolves in that open A, the that same. little truncated mm-hmm. A, the same one up and down. It's a, uh, the over the mountains and the seas, that one, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Um, to me, like, uh, I've always been a little bit ashamed of the fact that I love that chord because you can actually invert it a little bit. It has some real open voicings. There was that I Can Only Imagine song. Do you remember that oh, song? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Surrounded by your presence, how will my heart feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, I, there might be copyright violations here. I better stop. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Don't Please sue us, don't sue me. us. Yeah, whoever you are. Um, so that I remember, like uh, I went to Steubenville. So you know, I I what, like, I was as a school. Yeah, I went to college there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know people don't think it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we're getting to know each other. Uh, it's great. No, and, and so I remember, like at that time, that song was like blaring all over. Oh, more yeah. of the Protestant, con- you know, contemporary praise words. But but that chord, um, you can open it up to play that bum 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 And 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 ever since then, I was like, this chord has so much voice in it and movement, and you can make all stuff. But I'm very ashamed uh, until I listen to Corey Wong be like, hey got a rep for the worship chords and i was like oh the worship chords yes you know um but you know talking about your 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 the finger style playing that stuff is there anything particular to your movement playing to your movement um singing but i guess as a guitarist i'm kind of more interested in the what you were talking about about the strumming and the and what's unique about that um hmm well that's a good question because it is very unique, but I can't really like, 
I'm like miming a guitar right now. I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> my guitar is in my office. At yeah, work. I, we're both air guitaring. We're both air guitaring. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you have many guitars behind you right now. Oh yeah, I have two back there. It's yeah, kind yeah. of um, um. Now I'm like thinking about it in my head. Like the the way that we play. Like I said, our consecration prayer, which is probably the most well known English song of our movement, is um, very like. So like um, they can't see my hands. I'm just realizing you uh, okay. very much hit the bass note and then kind of go up the other strings in mm. order and then back down specifically like the the B and G strings. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very hard to explain, but it's very simple when you see it. It's very intuitive and. Um, I, but you're playing the bass notes with your thumb. Yes. Always. And you're arpeggiating yeah. the chords underneath. Arpe Thank you. <laughs> so kind of like a Chet Atkins kind of a thing, right? Yes, that's yeah. exactly the word. You, you're, okay. you're arpeggiating the rest of the chord after you, you hit the bass with your thumb. Very cool. Which is, yeah. Now that I'm like thinking about it, that sounds very simple. And I know there's a lot of artists that do it, but it is kind of the correct way <laughs> to play yeah. a lot of our songs. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. No, we no, no. Of... I don't think it's simple at all, though. Um, uh, carry on, carry on. Oh, no, I was just going to yeah. say, I mean, like, I've heard... So I actually, I worked for the composer uh, of that song and of many oh. of the songs of, like, my mother's generation of, of Schoenstatt. Uh, she was a sister, uh, and then she left the community, but in her time in the community, she wrote, like, I don't even know... 50 100 so mm. many songs um a lot of which we still use today and that sort of guitar style is very distinctive of it i think and it's always kind of interesting to me the way that we really picked up and ran with the acoustic guitar uh because mm. you know that was kind of the age of like um pass it on and like kumbaya and all yeah, of yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff and the sisters just kind of took that sort of very soft like acoustic style and turned it into uh these very like honestly very reverent hymns i have to admit i was very surprised when i like joined kind of the catholic internet and found out that so many people have this like deep-seated hatred for guitar masses yeah because that's all we ever really did in yeah. in Schoenstatt. um and then I figured out that's not, like, super what they mean. They generally mean, like, electric guitar masses. <laughs> I think, I mean, so I was actually headed here, so thank you oh. for, uh, yeah, that was a perfect pivot. Um, and and I, I, I think we may have, uh, we, we may agree on this. Um, so my, my, going back, my, my, my dad played the thumb and up, not arpeggiated, but straight up stroke of the dum 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 where you have the bajo sexto on the, and you have all the move dum 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 dum, you know, all that from the Tejano kind of a yeah. vibe, right? And so you know, and, and and all the songs can can work in popurri, so you can sing you know, hay una fiesta, 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 continuamente, and then yo tengo un gozo en mi alma, gozo en mi alma, and then you just everything you know you keep going, and uh, and it keeps up, dum dum dum, you know, all the way through exactly, and and yes. and you know, um, you can you could literally orchestrate it around like what you'd hear at Saturday night at the you know 
at the quinceanera or whatever at the dance um <laughs> or you could play it solo on guitar and it has a very chet atkins uh thing going on and there was an, a guy in brady actually who played country western style and he when i was a boy he kind of taught me how to kind of translate between country western uh stuff and some of that more other stuff like my dad played but my exposure to contemporary to to the kind of like 70s 80s ish guitar was always a very light pick that made a sound like a click clack sound yeah sound and strummed and a very very brutal four four harsh, harsh yeah. with no muting uh mm-hmm. and no backbeat right yeah. and all and and uh this is a, an insulting name and i don't like to speak ill of this class of person but other people called this the nun strum. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. And it was <laughs> that just like that. up and down, like, you know, like a machine, you know. <laughs> um, and a lot of times the movement would actually come from the cording. So they would have a lot more mm-hmm. chords, you know, than uh, I remember like Alabare, um, uh. <laughs> you know, one, four, five, and you yeah. could get all the rhythm in the world from the way my dad played it. But the way they would play it, they would just add like seven different chords and, uh, mm-hmm. And that's where the movement would get into the song. And I get yeah. that. But I think when people hate guitar mass more than uh, uh, electric guitar, I think what they don't like is that that strum, that kind of just, mm. you know, jung, 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 that kind of yeah. thing. Um, Honestly, I think that's probably true. And now that you're saying it, there was a a group that, sang for us occasionally that I remember father telling me I don't like how they play and I was like oh okay well what's the issue and he said it's too loud yeah. and I was like okay so I like went and adjusted the mics and everything and like mm-hmm. ni nada like it was still he was like it's mm-hmm. too loud mm-hmm. and it was because the guitarist played with that kind of strum mm-hmm. and it just especially in our church is very like traditionally styled Mm-hmm. So that hit like the pico of the ceiling and it just overtook mm-hmm. everything in the church. It overtook all the voices, like it just everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can see, I can see why somebody might yeah, find that objectionable. Oh yeah. In the late eighties, it was big guild, big, big dreadnought guild guitars, uh, <laughs> you know, strummed up and down really hard. Uh, ovations came in, but always big sounding, you know, um, and, and I think one of the reasons for that, it's like, why did people play with Marshall half stacks in the sixties? It's cause mm. there weren't really a lot of sound systems. And so people weren't miking their guitars and stuff. Yeah. Whereas I, uh, as I matured into playing acoustic guitar, I love the finger style thing and the thumb thing. And I, I wasn't a member of your movement, but I, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> wow, I should have found that movement when I was younger. That was, <laughs> I would carry around a little Fender Frontman amp actually, because I wanted to be heard, but I wanted to play soft, you know, oh my um, which is why electric guitar appeals to me a lot. It's not primarily to play loud. It's actually used to play soft. Uh, so people can hear you. That's interesting. I have, so the guitars I have, I have what I think of as my guitar, which mm-hmm. is a La Patrie, which is a Canadian brand, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it is a classical guitar. It's from Quebec. Yes. I bought yes. it. Quebecois? Is that it? Quebecois. Quebecois. I yeah. bought it from French is my worst romance language. <laughs> but I bought it for, you know, high school. And um, it was interesting to notice that it doesn't have a, uh, a coating 
on the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the wood is all natural and I bought yeah. it used. So you yeah. could see the dents in the wood where like with the nails, somebody had tried mm-hmm. to play flamenco mm-hmm. and like it just didn't really work because there wasn't that, it wasn't making the sound. It wasn't yeah, coated. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like the natural maple or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never use a pick with it either. And so I think that certainly helped me step into like the Schoenstatt picking style, which is always sure. finger picking because mm-hmm. all of our guitars are acoustic and nylon string. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got an electric guitar, it was a Schechter Hellraiser, oh. <laughs> which was certainly not conducive to uh, any worship spaces I was at at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, go, you know, and, even less now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think the bad rap. Yeah, I think the bad rap of the guitar is. Um, it's funny because I actually, I actually feel like I'm maybe more critical of guitars at mass as a guitarist. Right. Um, and I think what people are really upset about is bad musicianship, and guitar being that super accessible place. Where someone can kind of step forward without really being a musician and play nonetheless. Whereas you can't really sit down at a piano and like, you know, well, I can't because I'm a horrible piano player. So I could pull <laughs> off the bad musicianship on piano. But most people would never sit down at a piano or other instruments. You know, they're they're prohibitive. Guitar is so inviting. And so we just right. get just tons of bad musicianship. Um <laughs> But, you know, some people at parishes, and, and maybe here, we maybe we have a difference of view, but there's a fine line in parochial music. Our present music director, I really, I really admire him because he, uh, his first priority is really uh, access. He really gives access to people who like to sing, uh, to people who are learning an instrument, uh, to people who are um, shy about but they, but they have a desire to, to, to play. He's very inviting and he, he's a very good musician, but he's, what's most impressive to me is his capacity to, um, he wrote a great mass. Oh my gosh. No one knows about Kevin Ng's mass. It's a great mass. It is like one of the best, um, especially for like a more contemporary feel, but his capacity to, to allow for people to come who are not professionals, who are who are learning, make them feel comfortable and not compromise the liturgical worship and right. the product and not have it sound like a hot mess. And, <laughs> and you know, and he's really able to do that. My, my gift is not that. Uh, my, <laughs> my, <laughs> that's not my gift at all. I, I'm more of like, make a joyful noise in your pew, you know, yeah. uh, to yourself. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of the school that I came from. But I appreciate Kevin an enormous amount for that. I wonder what school do you come from in terms of accessibility of ministry and music ministry versus the degree of, I think a, a degree of professionalism is actually appropriate. If you want worshipful music, it can't sound atrocious. Right. Uh, I think half the time what people mean by reverence is just like in tune. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I'm inclined to agree with you. Okay. And, in, and at least in that aspect, I do think that a lot of times people have very specific, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody like complaining about, uh, for example, you know, on Eagle's Wings. And like on Eagle's Wings, 
can be a very beautiful piece of music. And the words are lifted straight out of the scripture. Yes, exactly. And I've heard it done very well. And mm-hmm. I've heard it done very poorly. <laughs> yes. And obviously the music did not change within that. It was mm-hmm. who was the performer, who was the musician. And in some cases it is a performer. So I think it's interesting that you you say that because it's a really fine line for me um, sort of walking in that I am a performer, but this is not a performance mm-hmm. within the liturgy. Um, and I, so I kind of I do kind of always have that in mind, the sense of accessibility. Uh, at my previous parish, we used two different, three different songbooks. Mm. And it was very confusing, I mean, to have the people flip back and forth and stuff. But it was also very confusing because none of them went to together. They were all entirely different vibes. It was like mm. spirit and song, and then the third floricanto, yeah, and then say, yeah. the songs in the back of Celebremos. So there okay. were like different publishers. It was like WOP, OCP, like different publishers, mm-hmm. different just everything. And it wasn't a cohesive thing. And if you don't, I don't know. And I I will concede because I know some people are listening to this and being like, where a lot of the modern hymns are not super congregationally singable. I concede that, Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff with like weird syncopation or weird timing or uh, you just have to like, or claps are written into the music. Have you ever seen that in hymnals where it's like the X notes? (laughs) No, As but again, I don't read, class. so don't, don't, yeah, I'm not a good person to ask. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's out there. Uh, oh. So one of, at my current church, one of Father Boss's, uh, so weird to continue to call him Father Boss, but yes, he's Father <laughs> Boss. One of his priorities was to, I guess, streamline our hymnal. So he got us the St. Michael hymnal. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um it is probably one of the most traditional hymnals that I've worked with. Uh, there is about an equivalent amount of Latin as Spanish. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the thing that can be said for the very old traditional hymns is that most of them run on meter. Yeah. Uh, most of them run on common meter. And it's, yeah. you know, fairly there. So there's that element of accessibility the downside with the accessibility and the traditional hymns is that they're so high. They're always uh-huh. pitched so high <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for congregational singing. And I try to bring them down. Uh, yeah. But if I have like my violinists with me or my flautist, sure, like I really can't. For everybody. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. really can't do that. Yeah. So we're out there at like our big, you know, the high holy days singing very, very high because yeah. that's what our, our other musicians need. I wonder I think, if some of that has to do with uh, projecting acoustically in spaces like, like I wondered sometimes if key if key's choice even has to do with just uh, pushing you to a place where dynamically you can sing at full voice and really fill a space. Right. <laughs> I de- I definitely think that's part of it because it's the at least for me I'm a technically a mezzo I've always sung as a soprano. Um, when I pass my passaggio, it is a lot easier to get like really high up there with Mm. those notes. And if you're, you know, if you've like vocally trained, if you're like rounding them correctly and you're breathing correctly and stuff, those will bounce off of 
an acoustically good space um, mm-hmm. a lot easier. And yeah. our church is, like I said, very traditionally designed. Like I have a choir loft, which yeah. I yeah. really never had before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, a lot of uh, for a lot of those those old hymns, the music does do a lot of the work. I think you're right. And so the issue is just getting people to have the confidence. I think a lot of people are scared of singing high. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I certainly run into that a lot with my my cantors. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think it's not only because of hitting of, of like the pitch, but uh, uh, my son is is learning. He, he's a kind of a uh, he really loves to sing and he's in the choir, but he'll he'll uh, sing an octave below because he doesn't want to project. He doesn't want to be heard. You know, he's right. still a little bit shy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm like, no, you can do it. It's, but I think, yeah, a lot of it is, is confidence because there's a certain, you know, in your chest voice, you can sing both low and quiet. Mm -hmm. When you really get up into your higher range, you know, you can't really sing quietly. No, no, no. (laughs) I tried. I've tried several times. It really does not work. And especially not in a building that is like designed to pick up every echo of everything. Yeah. So yeah, so a lot of my cantors will get very scared about that. And I'm like, no, you have the note. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. <laughs> just just project it, we'll be fine. Yeah. But then I think a lot of that is also probably confidence because I have to remind them every like Easter vigil, like Christmas Eve, like the confirmation, the high holy days when there's, you know, all these psalms to be done and solo mm-hmm. parts. I'm like, listen, like, I'm not interested in setting you up to fail. <laughs> right, right. I, right. you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't have given this to you, assigned you to this, like, if I didn't think you were capable. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of projecting. And I think that's probably where it comes in that it's helpful that it's, uh, you know, you get to pull the it's for God card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it's, you know, I, I've been, in, you know, because there are strictly professional uh, settings where just everyone is paid and everyone kind of arrives to more to do their job. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think, though, in the setting you're talking about and the one that I was referring to, for sure. Absolutely. It almost doubles the sense of ministry. So on the one hand, we are uh, ministers of music for the liturgy but on the other hand someone like yourself is a minister to those in the congregation who want to join the ministry of music in a way and so it's almost like it's a it's like a double it's like you're doing pastoral work on this side but then you still have to deliver the liturgical function of music which is you know to you know to aid the mass yeah, I think that's true. And I, there aren't really a lot of roles in a parish that, that double up like that, I feel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, our, our secretary, they come and they do their secretary job and they go home. You know, uh, it's not necessarily like anything spiritual for them. Not to bag on our yeah. secretaries, they're great. But, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's not sort of directly assisting the liturgy, I guess. Right. Is that going to be an issue? <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. It's fine. Um, this is, this is really great. I haven't been able to speak at this kind of molecular granular level. 
uh, for a long time. I want to go back to the Eagles Wings just because um, <laughs> you're, you're right. It's like it's it's like the one that gets picked out, and then the fact that like Biden named it in his uh, speech that oh really sent everything crazy. So I actually funny. covered it uh, because so many people were making such a big deal out of it. <laughs> And I, I think the thing that, that sometimes uh, uh, it, it's not even a melodic or harmonic uh, issue, but Eagle's Wings, if if it drags, oh. it drags on the floor. Really and if it does. And if it's rushed, it's blah, blah, blah. Like there's no, you know, the phrasing falls apart. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, a, it, again, it's probably not the the best if, if the point of the music is to be sort of easy to execute right it's in a real sweet spot where it can't it can't go too fast and it can't go too slow mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't work either way and you know i i had thought that those were the only real issues with it and then i found another one i had a family friend mm. pass away last september and i i went home for that funeral and she was a lady of of Schoenstatt, of the Schoenstatt movement so a bunch of us from different generations formed the choir uh for her rosary and I remember, you know, being asked if I would help with that. And I was like, yes, absolutely, of course. Um, I'm great friends with her granddaughter. She was always very good to me. And so we did that. It was lovely. And I was like, so what's happening for the mess? And I don't know if you you know this. A lot of pastors um, have, like, rules in their church, not just for weddings, for, like, every mm-hmm. event possible mm-hmm. that no outside musicians are allowed like it has to be whoever's employed by the church um so we weren't able to do that and the girl who was singing her voice was very good Mm. that was not the issue sure uh i don't really know how to explain it i can i can like imitate it a little bit it was kind of um it was like you who dwell in the shelter of the oh, Lord. No, stop. Please stop. Stop. <laughs> stop. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. impossible to follow. <laughs> yeah. And it was it's very, I know a lot of Catholics don't sing, but this particular group of Catholics sang a lot. And she was singing like, you know, Eagle's Wings and all of these like very familiar traditional hymns that like should have been familiar and mm-hmm. singable and just were not because she was putting a full I don't even know it's not quite it's not modern pop she no, was it's like that, an affectation yeah she was putting that like yeah. spin on it like really talented girl but it was just absolutely not the the music no. to <laughs> to be singing in that style I remember being in the pews like so confused I was mm-hmm. like what's happening <laughs> and that, that wasn't yeah. an exaggeration <laughs> Like, no, no. I mean, that's that's. I think that 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 line between performance and um, and ministry, and and I've all. I I think there's another side of the argument. Like um, when I was at Steubenville, there was, I, I got in trouble for a lot of things. But one of the <laughs> one of them was that because I had this particular formation in the guitar, sure. uh, uh, I would play nylon strings sometimes, uh, but. It, but because of the way I played, it stuck out, and I would sometimes get told that I was showing off or performing or whatever. Mm. And, of course, back then I was even more arrogant, I think, than <laughs> I am now. And so I'd always be like, did anybody tell Michelangelo that the Sistine Chapel was just a little bit too beautiful? You know, is that our is that really our aesthetic? 
uh, uh, disposition here, folks. You're telling me I'm too good at guitar for this, you know. Oh, uh, the funniest thing is like I was not very good at the time. Now when I look back at like myself, like I just had a distinctive approach to the instrument, but there, there was nothing go. about it that was very, you know, was that great yet. Um, but there is that there there are the Philistines though, right? Who kind of I feel like they want a mask that's like ugly or joyless or like they would rather everyone just be singing off key acapella but everyone doing it i guess than having a strong voice leading you know what i mean like i don't yeah. know I, that's my impression sometimes maybe i'm being too cynical no i don't know i mean there's certainly something to be said for unity but <laughs> i think that's true I remember very well we uh, when Kateri Tekawia, who's my patroness, became a saint. We had a mass for her in my hometown at a primarily Hispanic parish, but because in it was a it was a very like pan indigenous group that we had, so we put a lot of like indigeneity into the mass, okay. and that priest was cool with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Some priests were not. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. They were not pleased at all. Uh, and that was a parish that, like, this wasn't, like, an all-chant, all-Latin parish, which, sure. frankly, I don't know that I really grew up with any of those. <laughs> it was kind of a shock to me that those exist, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, back in the day. But they, I remember, were not were not pleased. And this was a parish that was already accustomed to, like, you know, very like Latino style of guitar. Like there was always, there was a full drum kit. Like uh -huh. they used like different drums at the Spanish mass. So they were used to drums. Mm -hmm. They just weren't used to like native drums. Right. And right, I was right. like, there's really, I don't understand what your issue is here because you, you're not even making like a liturgical argument that, Oh, the drums are inappropriate for Holy mass. It's just like exactly. the wrong drum. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I have to admit wow. that a lot of the, the finer points of the quote unquote, you know, liturgy wars kind of surprised me because frankly, until I got onto the internet, that wasn't an issue that I had faced in any community I'd ever worshipped in. Mm. It was very strange. Yeah, I know like back in the charismatic days, you know, we had scriptures, you know, we'd quote the praise the Lord with the stringed lyre and oh, the yeah. drum and the tambour and we'd go to the Hebrew word to show that it was you know that <laughs> everything it was, real. was legit yeah that it was all <laughs> real we were we were the, we were actually doing the og old testament version of you know worship so i don't know like el shaddai oh 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 i mean yes uh <laughs> definitely some of that the 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 hebrew words in the worship but i was talking about the apologetics for praise and worship right music for charismatic styles of worship we would go to you know, to scripture and point out that we were, you know, dancing like David danced. Of course, right. there's that great song. Uh, Salvador, you know, yeah. Of course. That album really Salvador. broke. That album was one of the things that really, I was in high school at the time. <laughs> it, it, it really lit me up. That was one of, I don't know if the, so that, so you're referring to the, um, the, I will dance, dance, dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they have the the, the oh, they have the horn line. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was so. I fun. never yeah. heard. Oh, that's such a great album. Yeah, they were very that was live. A, also, 
<laughs> I think I saw them. Have you seen times. them? Yeah. Really? That's awesome. They came yeah, to my me? city a couple of times and like oh. my mom, my mom was like, let's go. And I was like, okay. And they did, they put on a good show. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they did. Yeah, that was a great time. You know, Salvador, Jackie Velasquez oh at the time. Oh my gosh. She did an album with her with her grandpa playing guitar, I think. Um, yes, yes. Great guitar player. Uh, I remember Tony Melendez was a big uh, hero of mine. I love <laughs> <laughs> I also saw him quite a few times growing I up. I saw him once. I saw him once in San Angelo. My I first concert I ever went to. That I like wore out. Oh, wow. And it was like, it was something like, si yo puedo, tu puedes. Like, that was his whole thing. Like, if I can, mm-hmm. you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think the first time I saw him was like before I had picked up guitar. And then the second time I had already picked up guitar and I was struggling because it was like classical guitar. Mm. And um, I was like, well, he's so much better, like with his feet. <laughs> yeah. Than yeah. I am with my hands. Yeah. Which I guess is like his whole thing, right? Like if I can, you can. But he sure. he's always so um so like genuinely joyful in his Absolutely. in his performance that it all feels like worship that I'm like mm-hmm. that's really cool. I love that. I love that vibe. Mm. I, I yeah, no. I I saw him with Tom Booth. Oh wow. At, at a at a, like a small like parish I don't know, basement in San Angelo, <laughs> Texas. And like, I don't know, 1998, 1997, something like oh, that. Wow. Um, and uh, and whenever I was in my 20s, I think I recorded a take of Cien Ovejas. Ah. Cien Ovejas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, kind of like a real jazzed up version of Cien Ovejas. Um, Do you know what, that, that song of his that was like everywhere for a minute in like the late 90s, early 2000s? That was like. Ways of the World? No, no, no. It was like, uh, oh God, what? Like everybody sing hallelujah, everybody praise Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, was like yeah, yeah, yeah. everywhere, but you would like say his name to people, and they didn't know who he was. Yeah, they didn't know who he was, but they knew yeah. the song. <laughs> sure, yeah, that was kind of like whenever Chris Tomlin uh, knocked uh, Matt Maher's song out of the park, and no one knew outside oh, of Catholic yeah. circles who Matt Maher was. Yeah, yeah. Poor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's doing just fine. Yeah, now he's uh, doing fine. <laughs> no one even knew he was Catholic for like years. Yeah, I know. Because we didn't have like any skin in the game, praise and worship wise. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, are you a fan of Israel Houghton? I'm not familiar with the name. Israel Houghton and uh, um, and the new breed. Wow, no. he's he's a Houston guy, I'm pretty sure, but he's from Arizona, from that Phoenix area kind of uh, he's protestant though um <laughs> disclaimer i didn't mean it that way see i just i sin querer queriendo um uh <laughs> i'm trying really hard not to be ugly uh in particular on that sticking point because but yeah um well i'm gonna send you some links um he just put out um he just put out like a long extended youtube during like the covid time and stuff of like a his bubble, which was his giant band. I was like, how do you have a bubble of like 19 people plus videographers? But anyway, getting to, getting in a small, very like, I, I know he's, he's, a uh, uh, he's black mi- mixed race and very much in the, very much about presenting, a uh, uh, he always calls it like a salt and pepper image of, of Christianity and, 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 uh, but he, uh, he can play everything, every instrument. And he's got a killer voice and he's a really great worship leader. He's written some really, some songs that you might know, like I am a friend of God. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, his, and there's quite a few others of his and, uh, and they have, but they have this beautiful, um, kind of like prayer meeting style, uh, recording of everyone playing. And um, it, and it includes the fact that he grew up in a bilingual parish, um, in Phoenix. And so they do some cantitos, um, coritos, uh, and, uh, and it's just, it's just really great. But he's another guy who just kind of, you know, um, church music that, that had a really high standard of musicianship that really lit me up, you know, uh, I love but that. definitely Tony Melendez that took him into yeah. praise and worship. That's kind of crazy. Cause I, so I listened to praise and worship certainly, but it was not something. So like, I never went to like life teen mass or anything mm -hmm. like that. So praise and worship wasn't something I saw even in an adoration setting until mm. I was a teenager myself, probably. Sure. And then uh, it was for mass at some places. And so my university choir director had pretty strong feelings about, and it's funny, she's, she's not a super like traditional woman, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. she, she had pretty strong feelings about praise and worship not being for mass. Sure. Um, so we really only did that on like retreats. Sure. Sometimes, you know, for that retreat vibe. And then I, I found out, I guess, more about like Life Teen and stuff. And then we just, I don't know if you saw my tweets about it. We just took our kids to Steubenville, yeah. Lone Star, like a okay. month ago. That didn't no. exist back whenever I was in the game. We had to go to Louisiana. <laughs> no, we had to go Steubenville to Louisiana. South. <laughs> yeah, Alexandria. <The> Bayou. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it, it was very, it was an interesting experience for a lot of reasons, but also because... Who's doing the I, music for that? So they had a band. Uh, the guy on the keyboard was Ricardo, somebody from Florida. And okay. then the guitarist was Andrew, somebody, some seminarian from like California. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the one of the speakers was the female vocalist, but they did her really dirty because you couldn't hear her mm. in any of the songs besides like the one that the women took the lead on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if she wasn't lead singing, like you were not hearing her she at all. Washed out, yeah. Yeah, which I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> I mean, not ideal, but whatever. I mean, mm. and they were good. Like, there's, you know, there was nothing wrong with that. I just, um, so a lot of our kids are not what we might say, uh, church kids. <laughs> they okay. did not grow up going to retreat and, yeah, yeah. I, you know, or conferences, anything like that. And certainly at our church, we really don't worship in that style either. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So the first day that we got there and, you know, there's this enormous band and this light yeah. show and fog machines and a mosh pit at the front of the stage, the kids are all like, what is going on? <laughs> And, you know, and it was just time. It was just worship. Like, and they certainly did that during adoration and to a lesser extent during Holy Mass. But mm -hmm. just the times of worship, the kids are all kind of standing around like, what do we do? Like, what mm -hmm. are you supposed to do? Yeah. And I personally, like, um, I this doesn't contradict anything I've said about the movement uh, because it's a very different style of music. I did not grow up. I, I'm still... It's kind of an affectation. It's something I've had to develop. And I'm still extremely uncomfortable in like praise and worship type charismatic settings, like lift a shout of praise, like people have mm -hmm. their arms up, mm -hmm. like praying. And, you know, mm -hmm. that like whole uh, I'm holding my arms out in front of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and I just, you know, like lifting their arms and stuff. And it's just not something I was 
raised in and it's not something that feels natural to me, I don't mm-hmm. think it's like demonic or anything. I think sure, there was, sure. you know, there was a tweet going around the other day about how this isn't reverence. And I was like, no, they're being very reverent. At least, you know, the, the people are, you know, kids will be kids, but most of the kids were also being very reverent. Mm-hmm. It was, it's just a completely different and unique, really, uh, worship style. And there are songs, you know, like, typical, like, you know, Hillsong, Bethel, like all of, all sons and daughters, all of them that we sing for adoration sometimes, but it's like very, all of our adorations are very chill. They're all very pared down. Like we don't plug in the guitar. We don't, you know, it's just, you're just singing at Jesus. And Mm. this huge thing with like the smoke and the light show and the lifting your hands and stuff. It's just, it's so uncomfortable for me, (laughs) but I'm always like, you know, maybe that's how our kids Maybe they'll feel maybe they'll feel comfortable doing that. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was I was raised in, in the charismatic renewal movement. So yeah. I mean I I, uh, I I can't uh simulate I guess the kind of alienating feeling, but I've heard from enough people. Uh for me it's actually the opposite. Um I I had never been to a high mass with uh a full choir singing and parts with the sobers yeah. until I was in Columbus, Ohio in my doctoral studies. And to be honest, it was, um, it wasn't alienating at all. I was, it probably saved my religion for a little bit there because oh, it wow. was an encounter. Uh, it was an encounter with, 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 uh, I mean, it's, it's, I went to my first classical con, con uh, uh, my first classical music uh, concert in, in, in college as well. So, you know, I just never grew up with any of that kind of stuff, but I always loved it because when an orchestra just, this, I thought the tuning was great. I was like the sonic, you know, cause I'm a musician. So I was like, right. you know, the, 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 and then whenever the, 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 the actual orchestra just washes over you like a wave, I just immediately started crying, which is probably my whole charismatic <laughs> thing, you know? Um, but I've always, you know, I, I, I never felt alienated, I guess, by the difference, but I can sense, I guess the, one funny thing was I I was um I was playing at a at a, a holiness like Pentecostal at a black church mm. in Columbus uh, that was overtly Pentecostal as well and I always wondered about like well how is this going to translate because all my Pentecostalism was Catholic <laughs> and now we're in like you know a different setting right. and obviously there there's a lot of authenticity to black Pentecostalism right you know um, and I and at the time I was going to the to the more traditional mass that would really woke me you know, save my religion, like I say, but, um, but I was skeptical about what I was doing at the Pentecostal church just because I was like, look, I love this music and it makes me feel good, but that's just me and being a guitar player and the kind of music I like. But I'd have these moments where I would feel God, you know, mm. and I would be like, you know what? It might be real too. I think it's all real. Yeah. It's all <laughs> uh, real. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really wild. That's, um, that's, I think I wanted to, to, if you, I don't want to monopolize all your time, but I wondered if we could, uh, maybe just talk briefly. Cause you mentioned it at the beginning and it's weirdly made its way here and there through the one story of the, um, uh, the, 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 the mass you were talking about with the drums and stuff. Um, indigeneity, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, Sor Juana Ines de la Cruz. <laughs> So I, I do actually know about Sor Juana and uh, like her a lot. Um, I really like her um, 
her very famous letter, of course, the La Respuesta. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, that's what most people read. Um, I like her original letter, the Carta Tenagorica, which is the, uh, the first letter she writes uh, to her bishop. But I wondered if uh, th this is a, a person who you're absolutely right. Um, no one knows enough about um, her, her, the arc of her life, especially I think having gone through a pandemic, um, she renounces all of her um, scholarship and research and great works. She was also a composer. She composed a mass to St. Catherine of Alexandria. I, I know you know all these things. These are more for the listeners. Yeah. But to, to me, the, the, the main thing, though, is uh, she actually died uh, in the midst of a plague in her convent uh, uh, because she chose to take care of her, of, her, of her fellow sisters and she succumbed to the illness herself. Um, it's a tragic story. Uh, it's a, it's, uh, she advocated for the rights of women, um, and in particular, the rights of, of women uh, on the continent, non-peninsular mm -hmm. women in the, uh, in the Americas, uh, mestiza women, indigenous women, uh, um, for to, to the right to have an education. <laughs> um, and, you know, this identity you've gotten and the story you've told us and stuff almost thematically um, makes a lot of sense to me why you chose that name. Although your real name is not really a Chola, which I wanted to talk about too. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, uh, but maybe we could say a little bit about Sor Juana Ines um, because it's it's a unique character and it's a person who I think people need to know about. And I think it maybe was the, was the name actually that put you on my radar because I was like, oh, someone oh. else knows about Sor Juana. And like, yeah. Yeah. So I actually, weirdly enough, uh, Sor Juana and I did not, I was going to say did not know of each other. I, I don't think she knows of me now, but. Oh, I, I think um, she does. Oh no. She's like, this woman is using my name. <laughs> <laughs> She's using my name to post about her dog. Um, but no, I, I only really heard of her work in college. I went to St. Mary's in San Antonio okay. and I believe she was mentioned to me by one of my professors actually. And I went and read some of her work. I think I probably read Hombres Necios first. Okay, the poem. <laughs> and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love her. And then I looked further into <laughs> her story. <laughs> I looked further into her story and I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. How have I never heard of this woman? And I think I actually wrote a paper on her at one point mm. because she was in Mexico and in a lot of Mujerista theology, she's considered um, like a proto-feminist. Yeah, uh, in that, sure. you know, she wouldn't have used those words to describe herself, certainly, but in a lot of uh, her goals and what drove her, she was very feminist, Absolutely. especially in what you've said, uh, seeking education for women. And I loved that. And I, I find that very admirable and excellent and, you know, kind of going against the uh, the culture of her time but what i really loved was how she sassed the clergy uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> i um i have been very fortunate in my life to work with a great deal of clergy who have been um you know kind and appreciative and wonderful and i've also worked with a lot who just very clearly did not value me as a person or as a musician or as even like an employee, you know, not, this is not about Father Boss. Um, disclaimer, Twitter listeners. Disclaimer, there we go. Uh, but just in general, and um, 
I think we, we do bang on about clericalism a lot because it is a real issue. And I frankly think that women bear the brunt of it most of the time. And so the fact that Juana was able to stand, you know, at a very young age in front of this assembled court of like the greatest minds in what is currently Mexico and be like, no, actually I'm going to stand here and I'm going to answer all of the questions you put in front of me. And I'm going to do it politely, but I'm going to do it well. And at the end of this, you're going to know that I'm, I'm who I say I am and I know what I say I know. And to kind of uh, claim that, that um, almost autonomy for herself was, I thought, really cool. I was like, why have I never heard of her? Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we talk about her in the church? And part of that is certainly, you know, uh, in a post-Cristero Mexico. Uh, but also part of that is because we don't like promoting people that make the clergy look foolish. <laughs> and she certainly did many times. But, uh, well, but I just... I just loved her, her, her whole story. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And again, like I said, I very much fell into that moniker, but, uh, now that you're saying that I'm like, Oh, I love that for me. <laughs> I love that. That, that absolutely every, everyone. She, everything she is, is kind of what I, what I hope to hope to be, uh, in my life. I don't know specifically in my ministry, but certainly in my life. I guess in a sense in my ministry because I've I've run into this is not exclusive to music ministry. I'm sure you know um, all sorts of parish and church ministry is um, a lot of bad or dumb or expensive <laughs> or easily avoidable things happen because people are afraid of telling the priest no. Mm. Uh, and. I don't mean you just have to shoot it's an all understatement of, of the year. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tactful of me. Uh, no, I mean, you can't just shoot all of his ideas out of the sky, even though that's fun sometimes. You, but you have to, you know, be able to say, no, you know, this is not going to work for your people. And that mm -hmm. should be your main priority. And I think with someone like Juana, that, you know, it seems obvious in hindsight, right? That like, yes, of course you want an educated populace. Of course that includes women. And even like in the most basic, like I said, proto-feminist sense, how are women going to raise their children to be good Christians if mm -hmm. they can't, you know, read the Bible or theology or right. anything? Um, and to, to a lesser extent, you know, we still kind of dealing with that. <laughs> I don't know if it's to a lesser extent. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, t two things stand out. The, the the first is that the legacy of Sor Juana Inés is being preserved uh, nationally. I, I've actually gotten to see uh, some of the original manuscripts and and the um, the uh, the Cervantina, the 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 one of the many libraries in in Mexico that houses some of the uh, Sor Juana Inés's you know writings. Wow. Um, so yeah, I got to see it behind glass. <laughs> Uh, very cool. But, you know, beyond the national project of preserving Sor Juana as this kind of, you know, Mexican uh, icon. Right. Um, She's on the money now. Oh, yeah. The 200 oh, yeah. peso. <laughs> yes, exactly. She's also being preserved by secular scholars who are interested mm -hmm. in her uh, as a literary scholar. What One thing that blew me away, though, whenever I read 
um, La Respuesta in particular, but also the Carta Tenegorica, is it's thoroughly theological. She's entering into Christology. She's writing in Latin. She's writing like Bartolomé de las Casas, where she's switching mm -hmm. from Spanish into, into ecclesiastical Latin. She's citing the church fathers. You know, she knows she's using Greek. I mean, she is a powerhouse. Um, and she has this satirical edge on, you know, to, to her um, responses. Uh, and these are, of course, the ones that are dressed up as essays. Then you get her poems where she just goes off. Like, yes, you know, completely. Absolutely. With no, yeah. And then her music, which I haven't actually had a chance to listen to any of her music performed before. I would love to someday. I, I also, know you, you know, I know it exists, but yeah. Uh, no, I've, yeah, I've never been able to hear it performed or anything like that. Yeah. Because I know she adored Catherine of Alexandria. She for she saw Catherine of Alexandria as like a patroness for her mm -hmm. entire persona, you know. Um so that stands out in the sense that Catholics were not doing the best job of preserving the memory of someone who I would think would be someone worth <laughs> preserving. <laughs> well, well, you are, you are, you know, with with your with your raising awareness, you know, of, <laughs> of who she is. No, I'm serious. I think it's actually really, I think it's really uh, admirable. But then your real Twitter handle. <laughs> well, no, the other thing I was going to say about Sor Juana. Uh, no, it doesn't matter anymore. It's going to okay. get too nerdy. Um, so not really a chola. Not really this a is, chola. So like I saw Sor Juana on the top and I was like, oh, this person looks cool. I think the moment I saw that, I like hit follow. Like I don't even think I waited, you know, two <laughs> seconds. And I'm not a quick follow, but I was just like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, I'm touched. Okay, I don't, I don't want to speak for you or, or what have you. You can talk about what that means though. And then I'll see how... How, how much uh, uh, more I want to uh, ask you about that. Right. So uh, <laughs> you might want to tell our audience what a chola is. Sure. Yeah. I was or wondering because you've got people listening who probably aren't from, you know, the borderlands. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so a chola is a very specific stereotype of um, Mexican, like, gangster kind of mexican-american chicano uh you've probably heard the song lean like a cholo and uh chola is the feminine version of that so um i am not a chola <laughs> my you know it's accurate but i i was exposed to a lot of them growing up certainly uh every woman my cousins ever brought home and <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a very, it's an attitude that I really admire. Um, they're also called chongas, I believe, in like Florida. Okay. That is the equivalent okay. there. But in okay. uh, Texas, California, rest of the Southwest, it's cholas. Um, I kind of, it's it's an attitude I really admire. Uh, not hmm. so much, you know, the dating a gangbanger or whatever, but the, you know. Do you remember uh, the homies posters? Yeah. <laughs> With like all the different kinds of homies, you know. I've seen, I've seen them, <laughs> and like I think a lot of people, the chola like is a very specific aesthetic. You have the 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 eyebrows and the eyeliner, and always either like a very red lip or a lip liner and a lipstick. Um, so it was a very popular look in like the '90s and early 2000s. Um, so like I said, I mean, I grew up around them a lot. There were certainly a lot in my hometown. Um, and there's, there's bits of that, that aesthetic that I like. 
and that I've naturally grown up with, like the always wearing hoops. Right now I'm not wearing hoops, but like always mm. like that. But I think the main thing I really like about them is um, they have a very like, am I allowed to curse? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have a very, their whole thing is very do no harm, but take no shit. Like don't mm-hmm. mess with my family. Don't mess with my man. Don't mess with my friends. Like what this you is just me. Did there was not very cholai. Yeah, it's like, this Ask is me. me if you don't curse. like it, go make caca somewhere else. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I, I very much appreciate that. Um, but the the not really chola came about when I was a freshman at St. Mary's. Um, we uh, had a Marianist brother who played the piano for the choir. He was our accompanist. And he was originally from Oahu, Hawaii. And so he, Eva Beach, technically, if anybody is from Hawaii here, but like, whatever. Okay. That's also why I say it like that, because all the Marianists say it like that, because they minister there. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so he asked, he found out that I'm, I was from Corpus Christi originally. And the only things that anybody knows about Corpus Christi are Selena. that are Selena and Whataburger. <laughs> oh. And that's it. That's all anybody knows. Okay. And so... One of my friends, my friend Huli, I think, had convinced him that uh, chola was like a positive word that he should use and that he should refer to me as a chola. And I would think it was really funny. So one day I walked into choir practice and set down the binders at the piano and he was like, hey, it's my favorite chola. And I about bit his head off. (laughs) And then um, he thought it was hilarious. And then for the rest of my time at St. Mary's and with the Marianists, he would make reference to that. And he got some of the other brothers in on it, too, um, <laughs> because he was real travieso. With, like, he's got, he was kind of a troublemaker. Um, mm. But, yeah, I honestly, I laughed so much about that. And my friends, like just took it and ran with it so when i joined twitter i i made that my at <laughs> and it, uh, people still do ask me like a lot of people i don't know if you've noticed catholic twitter is like very northern and very white yes, yes and so yes. a lot of people are like so what does that actually mean and i'm like i don't really know how to explain <laughs> it's pretty regionally specific yeah. it's very regionally specific especially since i if you look at any of my like content or like the vast majority of my personal aesthetic or whatever, it's very obvious that I'm, like, not a chola. <laughs> but I always say, like, you know how people are like, I played one on TV. I was in a production of Godspell in college where, um, if you're familiar with Godspell, it's basically just the apostles being, like, a wacky group of clowns that follows Jesus around acting out his parables. <laughs> and so they take on roles, different roles for every parable. And so I was Abraham in the parable of uh, Lazarus and the the poor man mm-hmm. where, you know, father Abraham send, you know, mm-hmm. dip of tip of his finger in water, etc. And in the script, it said that Abraham had, and I, I can't recall, it was something like a, like a Brooklyn mob accent and we all collectively kind of looked at each other and we're like, what the hell is a Brooklyn mob accent? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? And our director was like, well, you know, like a gangster. And I was like, so can I do it like a like a cholo? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I played Father Abraham. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, Abraham I'm not a cholo, cholo, but I've played one on stage. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was, I, wow. it was probably a different 
explanation than you expected, but that's that's it, where that uh, very came different, from. very different. But like, wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is this is wild to me uh, because it's like there's just something so. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's like um, I feel like like especially like on Twitter or what have you. Uh, it can be like identity is a funny thing and ethnic authenticity is a funny thing and stuff. And, you know, there's this there's this great poem by Gil Scott Heron called Brother uh, from his like poems on uh, Lennox and 123rd Street, I think, where he's making fun of people who wear dashikis and say you know they it's like an sister act the one character the guy who sings oh happy day oh, you know respectfully and, my sister yeah exactly <laughs> like that kind of like just kind of like and i feel like mexicans like we have that too you know like you know the whole like i'm, I'm descended from aslan i'm the son of this you know oh, yeah. and all that you know and um you know because like you know I, i'm 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 i guess I'm proud to be Mexican American, Tejano, whatever, you know, whatever terms are, but it's not, you know, that I can recognize that kind of a over-determination maybe of things. Mm -hmm. And so there's some, there's some people who I'm kind of like, okay, I get it, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and there's others where it's like, man, this really just works and not really a chola, the whole, you know, um, it's funny too because I'm generally very careful. I don't make assumptions, you know. I'm I, I but like I never even ask the questions. Like I ask you, what's your favorite panaderia? You know, <laughs> I'm like I like you because you're the most Mexican account. You know, I just always been very, you know. And you could correct me and be like, I'm actually from Peru. Okay, um, uh, no, it's fine. It's, it's I mean, I'm, no, that's really funny. I, so it's kind of interesting that you touch on it because I am what I call, and I've had I had this conversation like yesterday. Um, if you've, you've seen my pictures, uh, I am what I call ambiguously brown. Mm -hmm. uh, in every country I go to that is not America, I have received a different nationality, and none of them are America. <laughs> Just everywhere. I, people have thought I've, I've, I'm Indian. People have thought I'm Native American. People have thought I'm, of course, Mexican. I get all the time. Sure. Pacific Islander, Filipina, Arab. A lot of it depends on the way I dress and the way I do my makeup. Hmm. Um, but I, I remember last year I did my makeup like a specific way with a certain eyeliner. And one of my friends who is Malu from Kerala in India, she was okay. like, wow, you look so Arab right now. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Like, yeah 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 yeah. this is just my like my face like i didn't change yeah. my face um so i'm one of those those people where i don't really identify as mexican i'm sure you've noticed there's not like a flag in my bio or anything yeah, yeah, yeah. because i am one of those people who are with my family um the border crossed us yeah and so we've been here for a very long time yeah, yeah, yeah. um and it is even in the you know predominantly Latino spaces where I grew up, there is still very much that othering of like, well, where are you from? Mm. Well, where are you really from? Yeah. Well, yeah. where are your parents from? Talk yeah. to me in Spanish. And as a child, I didn't speak Spanish at all. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't. And my parents are of the generation that it was, you know, beaten out of them in the schools. Right, 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 right. And so they really don't speak Spanish. So now that all my grandparents are gone, I'm the best Spanish speaker in my family mm. on both sides, which is terrifying because, you know, 
my Spanish is not that great. <laughs> it's very, yeah. it's very like I learned it of necessity, I think. Sure. Um, especially, you know, being involved in church ministry at all in, mm-hmm. you know, South Central-ish Texas. You, yeah. You have, you have to, to be bilingual. You, you have to be bilingual. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, yeah. just really not another choice. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. And I did have, you know, I had one of those Anon like trolls make fun of me one time because I had tweeted something like the Guadalupanos are doing cocina and they gave me my food for free. Hell yeah. I'm about to eat some menudo, mm-hmm. which is true <laughs> that it happened. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Guadalupanos happened to have cocina that, that Sunday and it was mm-hmm. menudo. And I was like, yay. Yeah. And somebody quote tweeted it with something like something like mocking, like, oh, my God, I'm like such a spicy Latina. Like, well, I used to get the Vicks vapor rub and the like chanclas and whatever. And I was like, it's really interesting that you read into that because I've never played that up at all. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. very I'm very I really don't have any ties to Mexico and I don't have any particular ties to with the indigeneity. It's hard because Texas doesn't actually I don't know if you're aware of this. Texas doesn't actually have any federally recognized tribes. Um, no. The tribes who have their reservations here are not it would have native. Been the Lipan Apache down in South Texas. So the band, the Lipan Apache band, I know yeah. them for sure. Um, yeah. They're not a federally recognized tribe. No, they just put a thing up in McAllen though in like 2000 and I don't like 12. Or yeah. Something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because mm-hmm. all my cousins are running around with like Native Pride t-shirts ever since then. Yeah. <laughs> And there's, yeah, so there's a lot of movement to reconnect with the Lipan. Um, a lot of people who are, you know, Mexican or from the borderlands trying to reconnect with the Purepecha or the Mishka or like whatever. And it's very difficult because the United States views natives by blood quantum. Right. But natives in the United States view themselves by like familial ties. Yeah, ancestral. Yeah. yeah. Right, ancestral ties. So. Someone, someone, you know, from Texas, it's like you can't, it's very hard to reconnect because you're not sure where you were ever. Right. You know, so it's, it's a weird, it's, it's interesting that I, yeah, I really don't lean into the, I know it's like a, a stereotype and I did have someone, this is very funny on Twitter once shout out. Uh, I'm not going to call him out. I think he would be really mad, but okay. there was, there was a priest who had said something about uh, minorities that was very poorly interpreted and i did give him the benefit of the doubt but at the time we were not very close and so i asked him why he had reached out to me and he was like oh because another person had recommended i you know talk to you because you are a solid and online latina (laughs) and that was my display name for a while was sorwana solid and online latina (laughs) well i'm sorry i'm not i'm uh, you know, if you make your handle not really a chola, and you use Sor Juana as your uh, your name for long enough to become identified, as I think Juana. there's baggage. <laughs> yeah, and then and then your 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 actual you know quote unquote scare quotes name becomes Juana. Yeah. Um, but it's you know what? We're a probably assumption. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're probably so so my my uh, my family's from from the valley, and they're also you know Tejanos going back who knows how long. Yeah. Um, and I've never really, I never really got into the hyphenated Mexican American thing, uh, until I moved to Canada Mm. and it seemed like an important qualifier for them to know that I have a passport from the U S 
but I'm ethnically Mexican, kind of like a like a like a Canadian, like a the hyphenated, you know, Indian Canadian or what have you. And um, but but in the valley, as as you know, we just say Mexican and doesn't actually it's not yeah. a, it's not actually very descriptive because it could describe someone del otro lado. It could describe someone like our families that have been there the whole time. It could oh, describe yeah. some the weird cousin from California. It could, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's very, it's a very like catch all term. And we would say that in university of like, somebody would say like, you know, us who are Mexican. And I was like, okay, hold on. Cause there's our friend right there from El Paso who yeah. was born in Juarez. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah and then yeah, there's yeah. our friend who like, still lives in Matamoros half the year. And then there's our friend who like her parents don't even speak English, but she's never even been to the other side. And then yeah. me, you know, who's been here for like five generations. And I didn't mm-hmm. go to Mexico past like the border because when I was a child, it was still like fairly safe to yeah, yeah, yeah. pop yeah. over, you know, to shop. Sure. Um, yeah. But I hadn't actually been to like Mexico proper until like 2018 okay. uh, was when we yeah, went yeah, yeah. to, to, to the day if it's a visit the basilica okay and i remember being like this is very cool i do not feel any like national pride here not that i feel national pride here but sure sure <laughs> you sure. know it's, it was just very strange because um you know all my people are from the valley too brownsville and fowl and uh, falfurias mm-hmm. i guess but we always said yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you know all these like little towns and um it's it's strange and it makes it makes me wish you know that i had known more spanish as a child and it makes me wish that i dug a little further because like i always get i don't know about you i always get kind of like jealous when i see people doing their ancestry and they're like oh i'm like the 35th grandson of king richard the 10th or whatever the hell because Mm -hmm. like you know latinos at least you know in texas you can do it for like a few generations and then it becomes entirely like baptism records from mexico and then Mm -hmm. a few generations before that it just disappears like there's nothing there and you're kind of like okay you have to kind of live with uh you didn't you know you're not totally sure what you are but you 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 kind of end up becoming what you look like to everyone else so as a child people would get really frustrated with me because I didn't speak Spanish mm-hmm. and they were like, well, look at you. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, man, that's kind of lame. Mm-hmm. So that once I like learned Spanish, nobody was really proud of me except for my family because everybody else was like, you didn't you, you know, what's didn't the difference? You speak Spanish? Yeah. yeah. Didn't yeah, yeah. you, didn't you grow up well, speaking Spanish? I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to put you into this cartoonish, although you do no, have no, a cartoon to talk about. But, you know, the whole Mexican-Americans go to community college, take Spanish and get a B thing. You know, that's kind of a part of the whole mystique, right? Is that like, you know, yeah, we look the, the, the part, but the we're no our Spanish. The no kids, they call yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I was, because of my dad's work, we ended up in Mexico. Oh. Wow. But that was independent of familial ancestral reasons it was because sure. of the movement you know um so i ended up going to primary school in reynosa and I, oh. but i was born in brownsville um and uh okay. so it just has so happened that i picked up spanish at a formative enough age that with a little bit of study in college it kind of you know kind of stuck but came back <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it, it kind of just has kind of always been around plus you know having the family uh, my grandparents oh, yeah. didn't speak in english and stuff so it was it was a communication device in that case yeah, my mother always said that she, my mother teaches the deaf. Oh, 
So when I was very small, she tried to, you know, split between English and Spanish and ASL. And, but of course I figured out that English would like get me the farthest. So that's what I went the most with. And then, you know, as an older person, I had to kind of relearn Spanish and ASL uh, to varying degrees of success. Okay. (laughs) I'm certainly a lot better at Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Golly. No, that is so, um, it's just amazing to me. Uh, you know, we've never spoken to each other yeah. ever before. That's and true. And there's a lot to talk about, um, which is to me kind of stunning. Although I don't know, maybe the assumption that one wouldn't have so much to talk about to someone is the actual problem here. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Well, my my reading of the Not Really a Chola was the whole, and we've been weirdly, I feel like, orbiting it, was the whole, like, not really a Mexican kind of a thing. Because, uh, like, when I came back from Mexico, I literally hadn't been in, pub, in schools in America for a few years. And I don't know, I guess I felt pretty Mexican. I'd been in Mexico for a while. And, and when I came, I remember back to Texas, there were the, the Cholos, who were the most Mexican Mexicans oh. <laughs> of the school, right? Oh, yeah. And um, and to them, you know, and a lot of them did speak Spanish, but, you know, and so I was this weird, like, he's not a cholo, but he speaks Spanish. Right. And, you know, this, is, and he just came here from Mexico, and people weren't sure if I came, like, from Mexico, like, was emigrating, you know, or, right. you know, it was... It was just a unique situation. So not really a chola just lit me up because I was like, oh, I'm not really a chola. Because <laughs> <laughs> then like being in school, getting good grades and all that stuff, not very cholo like, you know, on the stereotype. So you know? <laughs> That's Well, I mean, there's some truth to that in that I did. A, I went to Catholic school for the first five years. So mm. starting when I was three. And then in third grade, my parents put me in what at the time was the Athena program, GT, and it would okay. morph yeah, yeah. itself into IB, International Baccalaureate. Um, anybody listening, if you're going to put your children in an IB program, make sure it's one that's already established, because my class and I were the guinea pigs in my district, oh, no. and it was not ideal. <laughs> oh, no. um, I'm sure in like a program that's been going for years in like a competent school, like it's fine. But my school was fine. It was just, it was a lot for them to deal with. I don't think they really understood what they'd gotten themselves into. But, um, so in IB, we were this cohort of like, by the end, there were only like 44 of us in this high school that was like several thousand people. Mm. And uh, there was like some, there was some resentment there, um, not so much in high school, but as in middle school, be from the community kids, which is what they mm-hmm. were called, um, to the IB. Because a lot of us, like, we lived in the same neighborhoods and we went to mm-hmm. the same churches and we knew the same people. But it was very like, oh, you think you're better than us. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say that the the faculty was not very good at like disabusing that idea, <laughs> like sure, that sure, you sure. were that you were better. And I don't think IB t- globally is very good at disabusing that idea. I'm sure they're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're not. You know, and it was very. You know, we didn't really get 
in trouble for like sneaking out during lunch. We didn't really get dress coded. You know, nobody ever went through our lockers looking for mm-hmm. weed that was actually oregano. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah. of these, all of these things, and it's it was not fun to. I'm sure it wasn't fun to be on either end of. But it wasn't great to, you know, kind of constantly having to be defending yourself. Like, if you've seen the Selena movie with Jennifer oh, yeah. Lopez. Many, many times. Yeah, right. <laughs> so her dad has this whole, he goes on this whole speech about how we're not Mexican enough for the Mexicans, but we're not American mm-hmm. enough for the Americans. That was existential shit. It really was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really was. Because, you you know, like, I've always, I'm certainly, I've never really felt, I don't have any connection, you know, to Mexico. Neither did my, you know, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. We were all born here. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we we look the way we do. And our names are Gonzalez. And, you know, if you go to, you go to Spanish Mass or whatever, and you live in predominantly Latino communities. And everyone's like, oh, so you're this thing. And you... It's weird to have to tell somebody, like, I'm not this thing, but not because there's anything wrong with this thing. <laughs> like, it's, I'm, that's not like if somebody said you were like ugly or lazy or something, you'd be like, no, I'm not. It's a terrible thing to call someone. It's more just like inaccurate. Like, if somebody was like, well, your hair is green, and it's like, it's definitely not. I mean, that looks, that would probably be really sick. Like, that would look mm-hmm. super cool, but I, I've mm-hmm. never had green hair, you know? That's a weird metaphor, but you you take my point. (laughs) No, for sure. Absolutely. I, um, I've even seen this in like a mixed, uh, I'm trying to say it politely, I guess. (laughs) I, uh, when I was playing in, uh, the black church and also primarily in clubs and stuff that were on the east side of of Columbus and stuff, I found myself oftentimes as the only not black presenting person. Right. And, and when you're not when you're a not black presenting person in an explicitly black social environment, mm-hmm. uh, you're white. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was important to my bandmates that I be uh, properly identified as no, he's not white. He's Mexican. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, whenever they would correct someone, would be like, "Man, that white boy, he's got," and they'd be like, "No, no, no, he, he's, he's Mexican." <laughs> they'd be like, "Oh." Why would you call him that? That's so. <laughs> and then they'd be like, "It is not an insult to call someone Mexican, right?" You know. Uh, and <laughs> now, of course, it's complicated, as you said, because then if they were like, "Is he from Mexico?" I'd be like, "No, he's from Texas." Right. You know? uh, but you know. Well, there's. Yeah. There's no, still, the green hair thing makes sense. People are still scared of like, even though black people have been like, you can call us black. Because not yeah, all yeah, of yeah. us are African American, even if we oh, are yeah, in yeah. America. Right, right. You right. can refer to us as black. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like people over maybe like thirty-five-ish are very reticent to just use the word black as a descriptor. Yeah, but and I think also... that's because they conflate it with saying like blacks plural. Yes. Well, what I was going to say is they seem very reticent to say the capital B, the capital black. <laughs> But they don't seem reticent enough to me to saying all kinds of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on. That's definitely um, that's definitely true. Yeah, uh, I I've had people people who are very close uh, and, and who mean it and and, and whose whose disposition is is one of not wanting to cause any pain or hurt. Well, they just fumble up and like uh, Sam is a 
in Spanish, um, <laughs> Hispanic, uh, like they can't say, you know, uh, and again, as we said, maybe Mexican, you know, Tejano's probably the best word right. in, in the, in the English universe to use Texican, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> That's true. I think it's probably, and that was weird growing up for me because my mom always identified herself and my mother is uh, far more light-skinned than I am. She has a lot more mm-hmm. Spaniard in her. I favor my, my father. But she, she, so she's very much one of those people that people were always with her, like, so, like, is Espinosa, like, a married name? Like, is uh-huh. it? Uh-huh. Whatever, you know, always. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, My mom's a Montano, but also in, from New Mexico, so very, um, <laughs> yeah. And the like, same, and, yeah, same so, yeah. thing, but so she always, um, I think she favored... Hispanic and which mm-hmm. I've come to realize is also imperfect because Latino or Latine is not, I don't know, is not really defined as much, but also Hispanic means Spanish speaking. And then right. Chicana, at least in, you know, my mother's day was very, a very politicized, very politically very charged yeah, very word. Political. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sure. And my, my grandfather was, you know, he was in LULAC and he supported, you know, Chavez and the farm workers. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, worked with Dr. Hector P. Garcia. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. Uh, he was very instrumental in civil rights in South Texas. There was a okay. war veteran who was not allowed to have his service in a white chapel. Okay. And that really kicked off a lot of stuff down here. But that was that was Hector P. Garcia. Yeah, um, I think it was a class apart. Texas versus Hernandez, 1954. Sounds right. The Supreme Court. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That would be yeah. about the years, yeah. Because yeah. it was a time where they were like, in Texas, the um, Hispanics or whatever whatever the thing is that we are, yes. We uh, it was, the census was black and white, and so we mm-hmm. actually checked the white box. And so the uh, statutes like, um, you have the right to be tried by a jury of your peers, uh, a Mexican would get, uh, you know, taken to court and they have a jury of 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 gringos anglos yeah yeah of anglos yeah (laughs) i've also learned by the way that anglos is not as easy it's talking about difficult terms all my life i was raised that you say anglo to be polite right you don't say white you don't say gringo Uh you don't say bolillo you you say you say (laughs) anglo and i had a job uh i'll say it doesn't matter i was editor of (laughs) patheos catholic um for for a little while oh and okay. whenever I was that or there, I, I, you know, I wanted to spice things up and stuff. And to, I sent out a memo about how, like, how important this was to, you know, to kind of diversify a bit and, and other voice. I wanted to bring in different languages, bilingual stuff. And I used the expression Anglo and folks lost it on me. And apparently, really? yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is I don't know if it's real or if it's maybe it was I don't know what it is. But apparently some folks see being addressed as Anglo as uh, almost like an anti-white slur of a kind, or I don't know. Um, see, I assumed it was because everyone hates England. <laughs> yeah, now if they were Irish, I would totally understand why they don't want to be called Anglo. Right, but no, I mean, we've <laughs> always French. said that, like, like I remember my, uh, my, uh, my grandmother would always say, if you said something like, um, gosh, I can't think of any Spanish words right now, if you said like tortilla or tortilla mm-hmm. instead of tortilla, like not even like tortilla, you know, just like tortilla. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you didn't just, if you said it like tortilla, 
instead she'd be like why are you anglicizing that word mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like why are well, you that's a proper that that's that's anglicizing is mean making it sound more like english right yeah but it was like, like when i was, say my name is rocha rocha <laughs> rocha yeah. That's got to be, that's got to be, that had to have been bad for like bullying purposes. Oh, of course it was. Well, I won't, I won't make you relive that, but yeah, yeah, no, we've always said like, you know, kind of like Anglo. I, even my mother, when I got hired at this church was like, what's the priest like? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, tall, nice, like (laughs) kind of awkward on the phone. He's also Mm -hmm. awkward in person, but he sounds about. 12 on the phone so when i received that first like cold call voicemail i was mm. like i called my friend who would like help me get the job and i was like how old is this priest she's like don't worry he just sounds young i'm like that does not help me thank you uh <laughs> but she met him and so she was describing him to my tia and she's like no he's really sweet he's like really tall he has glasses you know anglo <laughs> it's just yeah, I've never heard that it might offend anybody, so that's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I uh, it was a very, uh, I was shocked actually. It was just like, oh my gosh, what did I do? <laughs> what a funny um, thing to get pushback for. Yeah, the, I mean, it was a complicated event. It, it's, it's a bit of a, I mean, yeah, it, it was what it was. Um, <laughs> but uh, that kind of pushback, I mean, I just, I think regardless of. You know, you were talking about, you know, I don't try to do this. I don't try to do that. I feel a lot of this has been me kind of being very pushy about like, no, you are this. You are that. You know, no, I know I haven't been taking it like that. Like like we said at the beginning of the conversation, um, I'm very much a person who like I think you've expressed that you're also like this. People tell me things I am and I'm either like, yeah, I guess. Or like, no, not at all. Here's why you're wrong. Mm So, yeah, no, it's it's always interesting to to see, I think, what people assume of me. And um, that's also been a thing in church music as well. One of my cantors, uh, she goes by Celine in my comic and my stories. But I she invited me to her birthday. It was at a bar and I went and she had told her friends, oh, my choir director, my friend, my choir director is coming And I showed up, you know, with my gift and I was like, hey, you know, happy birthday, whatever. And they were all like, so who are you? And I was like, I'm her. She goes, this is my, you know, my choir director. And they were like, oh, my God, we thought you would be like super old (laughs) (laughs) or like a nun. And I was like, yeah, because she would have invited a nun to a bar at like 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. That would have happened. Probably not. Yeah. But then I do get a lot of people thinking I, I had to talk about this as recently as last week that I'm. Are religious and I'm like you know I don't know if you've ever met a woman religious or you know seen their internet presence at all but uh even if it's you couldn't yours. clearly see how much makeup I wear and the kind of language I use and you know the fact that I clearly own a dog that is mine and have like mm-hmm. a career that is mine I don't know what about my presence would would make you believe that but um mm. I am certainly one of the youngest people I know in my line of work, uh, at least in real life. And mm-hmm. uh, I am one of the few females. Women are not generally in charge. Yeah. Uh, they might be like featured, you know, cantors or whatever, but they're, right. they're rarely like in charge. 
so it's it's been it's been uh, turtles all the way down in the sense of uh, people kind of being like, well, are you this thing? And me really kind of having to think about it, like, I guess, or no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so much resonates. Why don't you um, talk a bit about your comic and uh, say whatever you want to say about it. Just, you know, go on just, you know, as much as you want to share, as much oh, as you want to gosh. talk about. So you can drop so. links, whatever you want. <laughs> yes. So it is at the Parish Comics on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think it's biggest on Twitter, obviously, because Catholic Twitter. So it, the Parish kind of started when I it was like the first thing I ever tweeted about working at my current, at the parish uh, with Father Boss was when (laughs) Father Boss, he had gone on his yearly uh, silent retreat, you know, like priests have to do. And while he was on the plane, the chancery, you know, sent out their memo and said, hey, we're shutting down the archdiocese. This was at the very beginning of of the pandemic of like March of 20. So he got off the phone and he called me and he was like, hey, I just got off my silent retreat. It was like super blessed. And now we have to start planning for St. Joseph's feast day. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like this is the most significant interaction I've ever had with this man. Like he just hired me. I don't really know anything about him. Like I don't want to break this news to him. And I thought it was funny. Uh, and It was. And so I tweeted it. And then eventually, over the past two years, that's just kind of evolved into me telling, like, vignettes from my life and my my work, almost as if it's like, uh, like an old school, like a radio show or a TV show where it's like, today on the parish, like, this is what you missed. I guess the modern equivalent is like, that's what you missed on Glee. Uh, mm. <laughs> but um, it's been, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting and then my friend Brandon, who's at Captain Vatican on Twitter, he had reached out and I, I thought he was joking. He had drawn a few cartoons of uh, mostly my dog because everybody loves my dog. <laughs> um, but he had drawn a few cartoons and uh, cartoon, you know, profile pictures for people. And he was like, we should illustrate this. And I was like, oh, I, yeah, I, I guess that would be kind of fun. So we, <laughs> I, we weren't respect, expecting the response we got at all. We got like 500 followers, like the first day it was a lot. Um, and it was kind of flattering in a sense because I didn't realize that people enjoyed, you know, my silly little life so much. And I have to stress, like, while I'm on the record, I really haven't exaggerated <laughs> any of the stories that I've told and so sometimes my real life friends will see my posts and they'll be like wanna like what do you mean that like your the cross on top of your church exploded what do you mean that like your priest like almost crashed his car with you in it what do you mean like um what do you mean like Bentley tried to eat his stole you know like all of these things that have actually happened and I'm like I don't know. I don't have any explanation to offer you. Can I interest you in an illustrated version of events? <laughs> <laughs> um, very much that gif of uh, Danny DeVito where he's like, can I offer you a nice egg in this trying time? <laughs> That's kind of me, I, like to the 
the Twitterverse, but also like to the world, like, I don't understand my life either. Can I interest you in an illustrated version? Um, and so far, it's kind of funny. I, and there was a, I think it was Father Mike, actually, the Holy Cross priest. What's up, Father Mike, if you're listening? Um, not Schmitz, the non-famous Father Mike. Yeah. Was, like, was like, did you actually ask all these people if you could, like, make them into a comic? And I was like, what a great question. <laughs> sure didn't. <laughs> and then I did, and uh, everyone reacted with varying degrees of confusion and delight um and then actual father boss was like i mean i guess if you don't make it obvious that it's me and i was like dear heart you are a tall white man with glasses (laughs) um no one is gonna look at this like cartoon and be like oh this is Father Boss from the parish in Houston. But people who already know you and know who I am are definitely going to be like, oh, that's 100% him. That's something he would do. So I don't know. We've, uh, we've been having fun with it. And it's it's interesting. People have been like in the comments like, do you guys have a Patreon? Do you like have merch? Like somebody asked J.D. Flynn from The Pillar. He had like tweeted about our launch excuse me, like something like he was like something like he was so psyched or something. And somebody was like, what if the pillar bought it? And we were like, it literally hasn't even launched yet. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't do that. Like, this is just, I, for now, this is just something we're doing for fun. I think we might expand into Patreon eventually, but frankly, Brandon does most of the work because I'm just the one who lives it. Uh, and then I go to my computer and I'm like, little internet people, you'll never guess what happened today. Uh, and then, you know, he, he has to illustrate it. And I do kind of storyboard it for him in a way of like, I was terrified out of my mind here. Or like, Mm. father boss enters rooms like the Kool-Aid man or like notes, editorial notes. But, um, it's very fun. I think, I think it's resonating with a lot of people because they like, Frankly, I think it's because they like father. I think that's why my general parish stories resonate with people. Because father is a very good priest, um, I think that comes across. Uh, he is kind of a dork, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's a huge dork. I'm not going to lie. He's never going to listen to this. But uh, <laughs> for legal reasons. As we approach two hours, yeah. Yeah, like for legal reasons. It's not, it's not you if you're listening, father. Um, but it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a wholesome thing that I think people relate to because there's a lot of struggles of working in a parish and working in ministry mm-hmm. and a lot of things that go terribly wrong and it's not a lot of money and it's not a lot of mm-hmm. um, payoff, really. I always think mm-hmm. about uh, Romero's speech of um, we are prophets of a future, not our own. Mm-hmm. That that's one thing they always really taught us in in a university ministry was you know you plant seeds you hope they grow one day uh, very rarely do we get to see like instantaneous change in any mm-hmm. kind of ministry um, so I think kind of that like lightheartedness about it like that it's a very it's a very goofy 
take on uh, on life. But I do think a lot of people, I, I think a lot of people think that I, you know, exaggerate things or that I kind of make things up with these characters. And like, I'm, all of the characters are pretty much a one-to-one of their, their mm. real world <laughs> counterparts. Yeah, well, I... Again, uh, this has been a theme, but I do disagree with one thing. I think the reason people love the comics, no no disrespect whatsoever to Father Boss. I think Father Boss is a major character, major role, uh, has a whole life world along with, you know, uh, is it Bentley, right? Bentley. <laughs> Bentley, the, the, the dog, and, and so on and so forth. I think it's you. I think you're the star of the parish and you're and and I as we kind of bring things together what you said at the end uh I I think that's to me why it's at least for me it's you and I'll and I'll say why um because you know I I I both worked for parishes but most of all my dad worked for parishes for you know over just over 40 years <laughs> and you know um it's brutal you know, um, it's, it's, it's very hard. Um, people don't always know what you do. People don't always know what you're going through. Uh, the, you know, you put a nice spin with Romero and everything on it, but you know, a lot of people go into ministry and into full-time ministry, uh, without always counting the costs or without realizing, oh, you know, yeah. and so there is a heavy matriculation. Of course, I went to Steubenville, so I know of all the <laughs> friends who are doing real estate now, oh, yeah. uh, you know, who started off there. And, you know, I, but I grew up in a family where, you know, we, you know, it, it was our daily bread and there wasn't always a lot of bread because of it. Right. Um, and uh, and I think that you, you, you have a, a presence to those who get that and you give a window into that very voiceless and very marginal and very kind of invisible um, role and life of the parish that often isn't um, popularized or isn't a part of you know consciousness. But I wonder if here in closing you could just talk a bit about, maybe say a bit more about the the Romero line of we don't, you know, uh, you know, the planting seeds. Um, but also just, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are either working in full-time ministry or are benefiting from those who work from full-time ministry or really tragically and sadly not benefiting right. from those working in full-time ministry, which we painfully have to admit is an, is another part of all this. Um, what could you say to the listeners who, who, uh, have encountered this probably the most biographical show I've had on an anonymous <laughs> <laughs> character. Um, what what can you what can you say uh, on that? Because I know that's what speaks to me. And um, no disrespect to priests or clergy or what have you, but um, I think what's unique about this is you, uh, for all the reasons we talked about with Sor Juana and with other things. And so, what what unique words of wisdom can you specifically offer on this? Oh gosh, <laughs> words of wisdom. That's always. I always do the, you know, oh, Lord, I know not how to speak. I am too young. And he's like, well, you're nearing 30, so start talking. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting because I think working in a, if it, maybe if you just go to Mass, um, you might tend to think that 
the church is run by the priest. And I personally have not ever been in a church where that has been entirely true. Um, Absolutely. A lot of times it's mostly lay people and it's mostly women. Uh, it's almost always women. And so every time there's like a debate about women in the church, I kind of roll my eyes because, you know, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have anything. You would have the mass and nothing else uh, if it weren't for women in the, in the church and in ministry. And it, it's interesting what you said about, uh, you know, benefiting or not benefiting, because frankly, I, um, you know, I can support myself and my dog. Certainly, if I were less fortunate um, in terms of debt or in terms of health or anything else, I certainly would not, I could not afford to, to do the work that I do. And that's because, and I, of every, so many people I've spoken to in my line of work, I am full-time. This is my full-time job. And that is just extraordinarily rare in the Catholic Church uh, for, you know, for people to value music ministry. We, of all the high church denominations, we don't pay our musicians. We don't value our musicians. We really don't appreciate our musicians um, unless it's to tell them, like, you know, you're doing something wrong uh, to really correct them. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad that that's, you know, it comes across that I uh, kind of somewhere, and I've, I've worked in communities where it wasn't a priority and it wasn't appreciated and it's very draining. It's exhausting to um, kind of do this like invisible ministry almost that isn't always face to face with people. Um, it's nothing like as tangible as like a DRE or anything like that. Even like a secretary that's dealing with people every day. Um, that it, it goes so much with the liturgy. I think that it's, uh, more difficult than people realize sometimes, like not to complain, but that's, there's a, a lot more writing on it if you fail and there's a lot fewer accolades if you succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I think with what I always think about with, with that, that line of Romero's is that um, sometimes people will say to me something like, and I'll, you know, I'll be having like a terrible day or like my throat will be really dry or, you know, I have rent due or whatever. And I'll just do mass or adoration or whatever. And somebody will be like, Oh my God, like, I started crying. That was so beautiful. And I'm like, really? That did not happen for me. But I am so like genuinely pleased that 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 could happen for you. And um, in Schoenstatt, we say um, in all of our languages, uh, nothing without you, nothing without us. And the implication is, of course, that, you know, of course, we would be nothing without God and without the Blessed Mother whom on whom we rely But also, you know, these days they're not really in the habit of popping down and, you know, doing stuff themselves. Um, Mm. We'd say that we're the instruments and in a very, that ends up being a very, in a very literal interpretation for me uh, as an instrument um, that I certainly, there are a lot of like, 
people, you know, musicians who are not people of faith. They're just very good musicians. And like, that's awesome. But it is very hard to do this kind of job with that. Um, It's also very hard to like do this kind of job and not have, you know, your whole faith life just like turn into a paycheck. Um, And so because it's so like inextricably tied together, you know, people are always like, well, you can go to another mass. I'm like, yeah, but I went to seven masses this weekend. Like, I don't really want (laughs) I don't really want to go find another and then like try to turn off my like musician brain and -hmm. just like, you know, pray the mass. So, you know that whole thing about he who sings praise twice is that um, you kind of have to be careful in a sense when that is essentially like your only prayer. I know this isn't really what, what you're asking, but um, so it's a, it's an interesting line and it's, I know it's a kind of a strange perspective. Uh, like you said, I don't think, I think I'm kind of in a unique place in ministry in that I am young and female and (laughs) I don't want to say valued, (laughs) but like that, you know, my parish and my pastor do appreciate, you know, music ministry and, uh, you know, appreciate me as a, as a human and, you know, not look down on me because I'm a woman or whatever. Thank you for listening to this episode of Folk Phenomenology Season 2, and special thanks to Juana. Folk Phenomenology Season 2 is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, Give Us This Day, Solidarity Hall, Black Catholic Messenger, U.S. Catholic, Commonweal Magazine, and the Juan Diego Network. Be sure to see the show notes for links to our sponsors. Also, please share this episode and subscribe on your favorite app or platform, and also find Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Folk Phenomenology is hosted and produced by Sam Rocha, that's me, with a soundtrack by Aaron Ross Hansen. Now go out and love the world. Dilexi Mundu. What is interesting to me, really interesting, and I can't define it, is because it's interesting. I can't say exactly what it is, but it's the most interesting, I don't know the word, concept, idea. My job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. Mm-hmm. It's where you find it. Mm-hmm. It's where you find it. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. And you don't know where you don't know where it'll carry you. And it is a terrifying thing. Love it is the only human possibility, but it's terrifying. Through the eyes of our ears. We see the beauty of hope. We see the beauty of pain. 
we see the beauty 